0: Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, hola. Before we jump into this episode, it's important to note that this episode was recorded in the late summer. This was before the L.A. City Council President, Nuri Martinez, was found to have racist comments towards her fellow colleagues. These comments from Nuri were deplorable and unacceptable. We are in the height of voting season, mi gente, across the nation, and it's for the midterms. It could not be more critical than now for new leadership and community solidarity. We must double down on working together and speak our minds against racism that is aimed towards our BIPOC and LGTBQ community members. Enough is enough, basta ya, and let's get the vote out. So with that, My guest today is Nicole Lopez from Los Angeles, California. She ran in District 42 this past June primaries, but she is gearing up for the congressional run to 2024. Nicole was born and raised in Southeast Los Angeles and the proud daughter and granddaughter of immigrants from Michoacan, Mexico. This past year, she ran to represent her home District 42 in an extremely crowded race for a rare open congressional seat. Nicole was the youngest candidate on the ballot, and she ran on a progressive platform that called for the abolition of ICE, the cancellation of student loan debt, the protection of worker rights, and more federal support for small businesses as they still continue to recover from the pandemic. She is part of the new generation of leaders who are coming up and will not allow politicians to take our votes and our voices for granted welcome nicole to latinas from the block to the boardroom hola nicole welcome to latinas from the block to the boardroom this is going to be an amazing 90 days in the fourth season that we're starting here with latinas from the block to the boardroom as i've said in previous podcasts just having more latinas and comunidad on the podcast There's been so much that's happened over the summer. A lot of us are still grieving while still trying to accept joy in our lives based on what's been happening. A lot of it affecting our communities. So coming into this, we just came off of National Voting Day. And we're also what is known as National Hispanic Heritage Day, but we call it Latino Heritage Day. We call it everybody just celebrate every day in your culture, because we are not going away and we're here. I just want to open with that because it's very important. And that's why you're here in this session with me today. So tell me about Nicole running for Congress down in District 42. Yes. Well, firstly, thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
1: I'm a huge fan. You have amazing guests. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. And yes, we're celebrating Latinx, Latine, Latino, Latina Heritage Month, all of the different forms that we take. All together. Yes. And I'm so excited to be here. But yeah, a little bit about me. I ran for Congress in my home district, District 42 in Southern California. I was born and raised in this area, which is Southeast LA, and that includes different cities. But I really like to highlight how diverse our district is, it used to be one of the biggest, if not the biggest Latinx district in the country. And then after Mm -hmm. redistricting, it kind of changed a little bit, but it still is majority Latino, Latina, and majority people of color. So I was very honored to be able to run. And it was my first time running for any office. So it was definitely Mm -hmm. a little scary and challenging, but I learned so much. And I can't wait to continue serving my community in whatever capacity it may be, whether it's an elected office, hopefully in the future, or, you know, just serving in community projects or nonprofit spaces. I want to give back to the community that gave me so much. So it was definitely a wild run. It was an open seat. So there were a lot of people who were running, and that was a big challenge for us. But I learned a lot. And I think The biggest thing that I took away was that our people, la gente, our community Mm -hmm. really do care about politics and really do want to get involved. And I think that there's this narrative and misunderstanding that Latinos and Latinas don't vote. We don't care. We don't show up. And that's not true. And that's not what I saw at all during the race.
0: Awesome. So there's one thing that brings you to your initiative, your passion, your commitment to community, and that is your first generation Mm -hmm. Latina here. And your parents are from Mexico, correct? So, yes. Yeah. So my mother is actually an immigrant from Mexico, from Michoacan,
1: Mexico. And my dad was born here in Los Angeles. But both of my grandparents from both sides are also from Michoacan, Mexico. So, yes, I am considered first generation and definitely was raised by a very strong immigrant mother, Latina mother. And my dad is incredible as well and super supportive. But, yeah, I've always grown up in this very diverse community where a lot of folks are in mixed status families where folks are undocumented or immigrants, second generation, first generation. So we're from all over the place, but yeah, I think that's what makes us awesome.
0: Right. And understanding your story a little bit more, how you got involved Mm -hmm. or you've seen your parents being entrepreneurs as a small business owner, correct? And what did, what did they do in small business? Because a lot of immigrants or first gens, Mm -hmm. they like to get into business Mm -hmm. And can you explain a little bit about that?
1: Yes, of course.
0: Well, we have a small family
1: business here in the district in Huntington Park, and it was founded by my grandfather back in 1991. And basically, it's a bus transportation business. So uh, we provide services up and down the West Coast, all the way from Los Angeles down to Tijuana and from Los Angeles all the way to Yakima, Washington. And most of our clients are immigrants, are Latinos, Latinas, and a lot of them come from Mexico and Guatemala, and they come and work in the fields as farm Mm -hmm. workers. And yeah, the small business has been a big part of my life. I used to go there all the time as a small kid, help out answering the phones. People would be like, why is there a nine-year-old answering the phone right now? Mm -hmm. And I would ask them for their credit card information to purchase their ticket. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, it was, it was an experience, but I learned a lot. And I think what I learned the most there was the power of community. So my grandfather was a very giving man, he always tried to help out in any way he could. If a person needed, you know, a free ride up to Northern California to go work in the fields, he would be willing to offer that because he knew that These folks were really hardworking people that needed to provide for their families. And he had been in that similar situation before. I come from a long line of farm workers. My grandfather was actually a bracero, and then Mm -hmm. my mother was a farm worker as well. So yeah, the small business is a big part of my identity, huge point of pride for me. And honestly, it was one of the main reasons why I decided to run for Congress was because I saw not only my own family's small business struggling during the pandemic, but Small businesses that I had seen my whole life growing up in this area were closing because of the pandemic and they weren't receiving Mm -hmm. the support that they needed from the federal government.
0: Right. I mean, I ran a podcast season one where we talked about the PPP loans and how a lot of Latinos and African-American brothers and sisters and all the businesses, people of color Mm -hmm. lost out on a lot of the loans. And there's reasons for that. Right. Definitely they want to put the blame back on us, but they're very much aware of us when they want to take our taxes.
1: They'll find you for sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Business license and seller's permits Mm -hmm. and, you know, the whole enchilada. Right. So it's like, don't tell us you don't know how to find us. You know, where we are. Exactly.
1: Of course. course. No, definitely. And, I mean, I saw that firsthand with uh, my own family as we were also applying for PPP loans. And it was a struggle. We didn't know how the website worked. It was a little complicated. And also, mm-hmm. we didn't know what the process was going to be like, what could we qualify for, all the while trying to keep this business afloat. And you know, luckily, I had friends from having worked in Washington, D.C. before that worked on Capitol Hill who were able to kind of help my family and I through this process But I would always say throughout my campaign, you shouldn't have to have a daughter or a friend that works in D.C. to have to get, you know, help for your small business. You should be able to reach out to your elected official and feel supported and feel like they are accessible to you to be able to ask for help. And like you said, they were doing very little outreach, especially in this community which is mm-hmm. predominantly Latinx, um, Latinx small business owners, first of all, didn't even know their elected official's name, let alone know mm-hmm. how they could contact her office and ask for help while f- for filling out this form. So yes, a lot of folks missed out on this opportunity to save their small businesses because they didn't have the resources that I believe the federal government should have been providing.
0: Absolutely. And now the small business Leadership is run by a Latina. So, on that note, I think that's a great service that your family provides because a lot of people may or may not know the migration of farm workers go to where the work is and that's seasonal. Yes. And so, how do they get there? Uh, They they have to keep feeding themselves and the families. And Mm -hmm. so, they have to go where the work is. Correct. So, I'm sure your family had a, a very good price point, you know, all the things that come into a business, you know, that how do you get the the cost of goods? And then you also have to work with the local community governments there right. to get, as I was saying, business licenses, you know, all your tax information, things that are needed for that business. So in some way, you are tied to a lot of these constructs that make the communities. Work, run, and then also sustain themselves. And when one of those things breaks down, then the community is kind of at a loss. So definitely I think that's perfect in talking about why you got into Congress. So tell me a little bit about your college into Congress. What did that path look like for some Latinas or folks that are listening. Mm-hmm. How do they get involved? Like right. how can they start that pathway? Yeah.
1: Definitely. And just to go back to the point you just made, that's something we really did see was that you really don't realize how all of these different businesses and community connections are aligned until they start breaking down. And when we had to close, you know, over fifty percent, I believe it was over seventy percent of our business for a while during the height of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. That was affecting our community members who couldn't get to work anymore and couldn't, you know, go up to Northern California, like you said, for seasonal jobs. So, and then again, also, we were worried about their safety. We were worried about price increases. It was just, it was a lot that we saw was overlapping. And yeah, really brought awareness to how all of these systems are interconnected and how we really depend on each other. And to answer your question now about how I got involved in politics, well, I never really imagined myself running for office at all. My parents would always joke and they would call me la politica o la abogada la because I was always <laughs> arguing with them. Um, and I was, always, especially with my dad, I was always, um, he would say, picking a fight with him about some kind of political issue, issue as even as a young girl. And one of the you know moments that I remember very clearly of me getting involved at a very young age with politics was my dad and I were talking about immigration and I was in second grade at the time. So it was a very watered down version of immigration reform that I understood. <laughs> That's awesome. And my dad was like, well, you know, you could write to the president, right? And let him know what your concerns are. And so at the time that was George W. Bush. And I was like, you know what? I am gonna write to him. And so I, oh. you know, wrote a letter to him letting him know about how important immigrants are to our country and how we needed immigration mm-hmm. reform. Obviously, I did not use immigration reform as a nine-year-old, but I basically got my point <laughs> across as, as much as I could. And they sent back, you know, a letter thanking me, you know, as like a little kid, um, you know, generic little White House letter. But I realized like, okay, wow, like I can actually participate in these conversations. Mm -hmm. Even as a kid, I could have a dialogue or participate in my government, my democracy in different ways, whether it was writing letters, or my dad actually also took me to the May Day Parade as a young child, uh, when we had a version of a day without an immigrant here in Los Angeles. Mm. And, and, you know, my dad was very instrumental in teaching me about poverty and um, institutional systems that um, prevent people from advancing and Mm -hmm. immigration reform and the immigration system was very broken. And so I was always very much aware of that as a child. And I feel very lucky that my dad and my mom as well from her own experience were able to shape that world for me and that that worldview. And then I, you know, I went to college and I was still pretty active in my community. And I would participate in different protests. I actually went to a protest against twice impeach President Trump. And I held rallies raising awareness about Femicide across Latin America. And
0: oh, so that's I was awesome.
1: very involved in social justice. But like I said, I never imagined myself running for office until the pandemic hit. And I, at the time, was living in Washington, D.C., and working within the government and for nonprofits. And I realized how unfair and ill advised a lot of our members of Congress are when it comes to the issues that are affecting our communities. And like I said, I saw it at a personal level with my family, small business, almost going out of business, going under, because we didn't have the support of the federal government to stay open. And then also just at a safety level, we, we didn't feel safe. We didn't feel supported by the government. Mm-hmm. We didn't have any instruction of how to keep ourselves healthy at that time. And there were a lot of people in my life, myself included, who were underinsured and didn't feel like if, let's say they did get COVID, could they go to the hospital and afford it? And I think that a lot of the legislation that is passed in government is not informed by people's real experiences um, in our communities. So that's why I decided to run for office. I'm really tired of folks telling us how we should live our lives and how we should just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps when there are real systems that are trying to hurt us. And we need real change from real elected officials who actually get it and understand that there are real life consequences for the choices that they're making in Washington, DC.
0: 100%. So let's move on to your working in Congress and then how you said, okay, the redistricting part, which I think also empowered you or maybe Mm -hmm. impassioned you to move into the run for office, correct? Yes, definitely. So
1: the district is predominantly Latino and Latina voters, community members. And we were larger voting bloc before redistricting. And honestly, I was disappointed mm-hmm. that we got cut up, our district got cut up and split around. And I think it's very interesting that it was the largest Latinx district that ended up getting you know, split up amongst other districts. But neither here nor there. Uh, We Mm -hmm. are, you know, still an incredible district. I grew up here. This is my home. This is my heart. And I'm going to continue to fight for this community. uh, No matter what the lines say, there are no boundaries, no lines that are going to keep me from serving my community. So even even though East LA and South Central are no longer part of the district, I still go and make sure that those folks are feeling represented and being heard. But yeah, it's unfortunate when not only is our voting power being limited by certain laws or forms of intimidation, Mm -hmm. but then also we have redistricting that happens where our voting power is again shrunk and splits up the community. So I hope that folks um, still feel empowered wherever they ended up in the district to vote, you know, in November, and then in coming elections, because every election matters. It's not just the presidential one. You know, we're in a big, right. very important midterm election. So yep, it's very important that Latinas and Latinos vote wherever they are in California, across the country, because we have such an incredible voting power. You mentioned the mm-hmm. buying power we also have a voting power. And we saw that in the 2020 election when Latinos, especially Latinas, were the deciding factor for a lot of these very close races. So, you know, like I said, it's a myth that Latinas and Latinos don't vote and don't care because I saw it firsthand while running for Congress that we actually do care a lot.
0: Yeah. when there are some Latinas, I see that are running down in other parts of the Southern states Mm -hmm. that are running the other way against uh, some community efforts, which is really sad to me, but you know, everyone has a choice and that is the thing about this country is that you do have a choice. How you act on it is a whole other arena and how you show up. So talk to me a little bit about this redistricting and how it happens because This, again, is a ploy around narrowing the accessibility of voting, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. It does not increase it unless community members like yourself go out there and talk about the reasons this is going smaller and why we need to be in a bigger group. Mm -hmm. It has power. We have power in numbers. That's my thought. But I'd love to hear you talk about that because I think I just learned it from you. Yes, definitely. Yeah, I'm happy to talk
1: about it. So redistricting happens every 10 years after the census. And that's why it's really important that folks fill out the census I'm going to do a little plug here that the census is really important, and I know a lot of our community members are afraid of it because they feel that if they report that someone is living with them or, you know, if someone is undocumented in their home, that somehow the government's going to find out and take them away. That is not the case. There are a lot of amazing activists who are working to ensure that the census is safe and All it does is count us and count our community members to ensure that we get a fair shot, like you mentioned, in voting. So that's what happened this past census. And especially because of the pandemic, there was a slowdown. A lot of folks weren't returning their forms or weren't, weren't being responsive to the census form. So that also played a huge part in it. But at the end of the day, it's like you said, it's really important that we have our voices heard, whether it's by filling out the census form or registering to vote or if we see that. So right now, California has an independent committee or commission that draws Mm -hmm. these lines. Right. And they're supposed to Mm -hmm. be impartial. They're supposed to be as fair as possible. But what we saw was that that wasn't really what was happening. And a lot of organizations and activists had to call this out. And, you know, we were going to be split up even more. The district that we had before, that was the biggest Latinx district in the country, was going to be split up even more. But there were legacy organizations, there were activists who waved a red flag and said, this is not fair. And it wasn't just with the Latinx community. There were also Black communities that were going to be split up. So, it really took people power to ensure that these lines were drawn as fairly as possible. And even then they were drawn very strangely. And I feel disenfranchised a lot of people. So that's why, you know, it's not the most interesting topic. It's not really fun to talk about. You know, I'm not a math person personally, but these numbers matter. And it really is important that we know who's making these decisions for us, because if you were to ask, you know, even myself included, I didn't know that we had a commission that was deciding these lines until I started doing my own research when I was running for office. And I was wondering why East LA and South Central were taken out of my district that I was running in. And the more I started digging and I started finding out more of who are the folks that are drawing these lines? Why are they making the decisions that they're making? Who are they doing favors for? Are there companies? Are there special interests who are whispering right. in their ears asking them yes. to draw lines a certain way? And you know, California is very lucky in many ways. There are other states like Georgia where you know discrimination in voting is rampant and it's just oh my it's God. atrocious I know. and very scary. But you know, across the country, we need to ensure that we're protecting folks who are often marginalized and disenfranchised and that is often communities of color but yes it's super important that folks look into this you know ask questions as to why their district is drawn the way that it's drawn and when the census forms are sent out fill those out because that will determine what district you end up in
0: so this is super important about the connection between the census and the redistricting because The government does look at this and they say, oh, this community that's growing really large needs a big chunk of money for services, Mm. mental health services, schools, fixing roads, all the things that build the infrastructure around your community. So when you don't fill out the census and you don't vote, those things kind of float away Mm -hmm. and people come in and they start to change things because they think we do not care. Right. That's my personal take. I don't know how all y'all feel out there, but that is a big, big deal. But one thing I want to ask you, Nicole, that maybe some folks don't understand in this redistricting, is it different than gerrymandering? Because can you explain the difference between the two or are they the same? So gerrymandering, as I understand it, is a form
1: of redistricting that is illegal, should be illegal. (laughs) But <laughs> yes, it, it is. But um, <laughs> it yes. does happen, right? But it, exactly, it does happen. So gerrymandering, like just in the most basic form, is a way of redistricting that disenfranchises communities, especially communities of color. So it yes. is; they're very much interrelated and. There are folks who are working really hard to ensure that gerrymandering is allowed in certain forms, maybe not calling it gerrymandering, but we all kind of Mm -hmm. know that that's what's happening. And it's very, like you said, it's very dangerous because not only does it harm people by not allowing them to vote or harming their ability to vote, but also it affects the resources that they receive. So, again, if we're not talking about how the census and redistricting and forms of gerrymandering affect our communities and can have long-lasting generational effects because these lines stay in place for 10 years, that's a long time. It is. And a lot can happen then. And if we aren't raising the flags like folks who are raising the red flags this time around, then we could end up having districts where folks have very little power or are not being represented by people who actually care or understand what is going on in that district.
0: And now we're going to take a brief break. gente, in 2021, did you know 19 states passed 33 laws that make it harder for Americans to vote? 49 states, yes, that's 49 states, introduced more than 400 bills to limit access to the polls, including reducing the number of days for absentee voting, restricting vote by mail, and tightening voter ID requirements, and more. The states that are struggling the most in these primaries are Florida, Georgia, Texas, and Alabama, and the vote count could not be more critical. These are the states that are upholding the Roe versus Wade overturn for limited access for women to have abortions. So we must stand tall and make our voices heard. Those stats that I just gave you came from the Southern Poverty Law Center, and you can follow them and have more information on the voting laws in the United States at SPLC.org. That's Southern Poverty Law Center. Gracias, mi gente. Vota! I love it so much that you and I are both admirers and supporters of Alexandria um, Ocasio-Cortez. Yes. Mm-hmm. She is our shiro. Up there on the hill, mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the video, Knocking Down the House. I want to say it's a documentary yeah, on Netflix. I would consider a
1: documentary, yeah.
0: Yes, very powerful. You kind of sound a little bit in her steps, I would say, here on the West Coast, which is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. That's a huge compliment.
1: <laughs> I. Oh. She's, she's incredible.
0: Oh, yeah. But I want to talk about your Instagram post that you did of her and that we should all be talking about a little bit. Is her presence in GQ magazine Mm -hmm. that recently came out. First of all, I would like to say that GQ magazine, if you don't know, is a men's magazine. And if you don't know a lot about what's happening with Alexandria or AOC, as most of you like to call her, Mm -hmm. she is harassed on a daily basis by men, Yes. by men every day. Death threats, whatever you call it, because she is outspoken for the rights and people of color, especially for women. Mm-mm. And she was highlighted in GQ magazine, a men's magazine. So it's I have many thoughts about that, but you shared them quite clearly. And can you tell us a little bit about the article and why it's very powerful that she is represented in that light that she was in GQ magazine? Yes, um, I just got chills with you talking about that
1: because it is an incredible piece. And mm-hmm. yes, of course, we're both fans of AOC, Carmen Ocasio-Cortez. But, you know, besides that, besides being fans of her, respecting her work, what she talked about in this article and the fact that she's on the cover, like you said, of this men's magazine is a big deal. And that's why I created a TikTok video talking about it and actually went viral, which I had never had happened before. (laughs) So I was really like shocked, but I was also really happy that a lot of people were seeing this side of her and also talking about the important issues that she raised in the article. And so in the article, she talks about how men have a responsibility to be in the front lines with us, especially after... Roe v. Wade was overturned and mm-hmm. how men have a huge role to play in reproductive rights and access to reproductive rights, because mm-hmm. it affects all of us. This is not just a right. woman's issue. This is not just an issue about folks that can be pregnant or become pregnant. This is an issue that affects every single person. And we should be talking about it. And especially men who oftentimes, like she mentioned in the article, feel like this isn't their place, might not feel comfortable talking about it, don't want to take up space or whatever it may be she welcomes them and she calls them in and lets them know that, yes, we need you to be a part of this movement because right. we can't do this alone. And also by the way, it's going to affect you even if you don't see it right now. So that right. was an incredible point that she made in the article, but also the photography was amazing. The styling was amazing. Photography and styling was done by two trans women and, it was just really powerful. The imagery was really powerful. I encourage folks to Google it. It's you know, free online if you want to go read it on GQ's website. But I felt really inspired by it. And that's why I talked about it in my TikTok. But like you said, she is constantly harassed. And as a woman, as a Latina who ran for office, I got a very small taste of what that's like. And let me mm-hmm. tell you, it is not easy. It takes a toll on your mental health it is very scary sometimes because people will threaten you, will threaten people Mm -hmm. that you love. And it's a very scary space to be in as a woman of color because people, especially white men in these spaces, will think that we need to stay in our place. Right. We need to stay quiet. And when they see a Latina or a woman of color who's outspoken, it threatens white supremacy. It threatens the patriarchy. And they don't like that. So whether it's physical or verbal, whatever maybe may be, intimidation, it's very real. And one of my favorite images in the GQ article with Congresswoman Ocasio-Cortez was the one of her on the Capitol steps, because I don't mm-hmm. know if you remember, but she was sexually harassed by, quote unquote, a comedian Republican troll on the Capitol steps who said really heinous things to her about being a Latina, called her a big booty Latina, and which is very disgusting and disrespectful. And to have exactly that that image of her on the Capitol steps looking so powerful and strong, and reclaiming that space. It was just incredible. So overall, 10 out of 10 recommend this article. I think it was a beautiful piece, beautiful artistry by the photographers and stylists and writers. But Overall it's just it's a really important message that men and especially hearing it from a men's magazine that men need to be involved in the reproductive rights movement and our fight to ensure that everyone has access to abortion care.
0: Yeah. And also it's really health care, right? Correct. At the end of the day, it's health care. Mm-hmm. And all of us need that. Even men. Okay, because it's not just like like you said, it's not just about us. And the other thing is with that article and seeing her reclaim that space, standing powerful in power poses and clothes Mm -hmm. that are not what regular men would think what the imagery is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. And this is part of the challenge and why I created this arena for us to talk in is because I want that to change. You know, Mm -hmm. I want them to see us in that capacity, Mm -hmm. which you don't see online very much. You see other images and descriptive words. And so I digress there. Yeah, no,
1: that's a very good point. And I remember a few years ago, I remember googling Latina in a business suit. And let me tell you, those images were not okay. Yeah. And it's unacceptable. And we just start changing that imagery. And I think that starts by hiring more women to create these beautiful art pieces, photographs, to ensure that we're projecting an image that's empowering, beautiful, intelligent, all these things that we are as women and not let the male gaze kind of dictate how we should be viewed, um, especially as women of color.
0: Yeah. Well, that starts in technology. And when I actually just talked about this in podcast movement, when we're not on technology team, leadership teams that are building these platforms and running these media companies, buying advertising space or just even Being part of the advisory teams of, is this okay? Do you have a team like that? That's how it keeps the narrative keeps getting pushed out. And so that's why I think with that magazine and men being allies, so to speak, Mm -hmm. through their major distribution channel, you know, people that buy that magazine I think it's a good step forward, and I think it says a lot. That's why I said I had many thoughts about it when conflicting, but I think it's a step in the right direction. Yes. And I think how she shows up, she doesn't back down. And, you know, if we want to compare her and Dolores Huerta, 92, I mean, we're going full spectrum here, still doing the marches, Si Se Puede, 92 years old still fighting for the rights of farm workers, right? So, I mean, we are not a force that will back down. And I'm so happy you're here. The message is clear. All us Latinas and Latinos and comunidad that's out there, stand in your power. And I think that's what we're trying to say. And this election in November, get registered, vote or help. If you can't vote or you don't feel like voting... Just help. Go out and donate money or help pass out flyers or go to a fundraising event. Help somebody. That's it. I mean, if you just don't feel like you can't do anything or you want to do everything, Mm -hmm. then get aligned with community organizers. And those are nonprofits. Or, Cole, maybe they can find you in your district and help out there, right? Definitely. There are so many ways to
1: get civically involved. I tell young women especially latinas all the time you don't have to run for office to be involved in politics if you want to you can run a campaign we definitely need more latina campaign managers if you are interested in a specific topic or issue get involved with a local nonprofit there are so many nonprofits across the country that you can help out with whether it's virtually making phone calls for them text banking or you know being on the ground if that's something that you're interested in There are many ways, and it really also just starts with conversations and having conversations Mm -hmm. with your familia, with your abuelita, with your mom, your prima, having conversations about these issues and letting them know the importance of voting as well. In 2020, we saw that Latinas in the household were the main driving force for Latino and Latina families to go out and vote. It was Latina women who were bringing along other folks in their families to go and vote with them so talk to your family about this it's so crucial and important that we're educating one another and sharing this information and of course if people want to learn more about running for office or my experience or you know just want to talk about politics or whatever it may be my dms are open on every platform happy to talk about it because I really do believe that the way to start creating change is by sharing information. And I learned a lot on the job while running for office, but I'm happy to share all that information. So there are you know less barriers for Latinas who want to do this as well.
0: Awesome. I love it. So we're going to get to close out here, but is there anything else you want to share so that we can... A, find you, B, follow you to your campaign in 2024. Yes. And what else would you like to leave us with? Yes. Well, so many
1: things. (laughs) I know.
0: But definitely
1: register to vote. If you can vote, find out what nonprofits or local organizers are doing in your community and see if you can volunteer. Like I said, my DMs are open. You can follow me at, at Lopez for Congress on all social media platforms and I'm happy to answer any questions you may have there. But above all, it's going to take every single one of us to start making a change. When I ran for office, a lot of people told me, do you really think you have a shot? Do you really think you have a chance? Like, what's the point? You're running against big money, all these different things. And my response would be that what I envision is that we are looking at a big block of marble, And if we all gather around it and start chipping away at it, we're going to create something else. And I can't do it alone. I can't make an art piece out of this marble by myself. And it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of patience to start chipping away at it. But eventually it's going to become something else, something that's going to empower us, that's going to help us. And it takes our community, la gente, to get together and start chipping away at these systems that don't work for us, have never worked for us. And that's my hope, is that you stand alongside Latinas across the country, vote for them, raise awareness about their campaigns, and let's start chipping away at this system, at this block of marble that doesn't serve our communities.
0: Right. Let's make something beautiful instead of not working together, because there's power in numbers. Seriously, if we just focus on that as a strategy, uh, which I think sometimes we do come together in this hour of need, Mm -hmm. but why does it have to be at the last hour? Well, Nicole, thank you for joining us at Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I am looking forward to a follow-up podcast to see where you're progressing and how we can support you, but how can we follow you on Instagram?
1: Yes, it's at Lopez, the number four Congress, and that's the same across
0: all platforms. Perfect. So if you'd like to reach out to Nicole, you can find her there. And then also, if you want more information on how to get activated in voting, just go to your local community resources, which we'll provide in the show notes. And if you'd like to leave us a message about more information of Nicole, we will definitely forward that on to her. But Nicole, thank you so much. So excited to have you. And again, I really would like to keep in touch and see the progression of you know where you're going yeah so
1: excited we'll talk soon and hopefully next time around um we'll be talking right before my next election (laughs) woohoo yes very good thank you
0: thank you nicole for joining me today on latinas from the block to the boardroom mihente you know this is a critical time as i keep mentioning for us to really be represented in our communities on the local and state level. Voting this November is very critical to all the services that our local communities will be receiving, and it's important to elect the new generation of voices that are going to be leading a lot of these new initiatives in our communities. We can no longer stand by and wait for this to come to us. We must go out and take it. So thank you, Nicole, for giving us all that information and to stand in our power. If you'd like to get more information on Nicole running for Congress up until 2024, you can find her at NicoleLopezForCongress.com and follow her on her Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter feeds at Lopez4, that's number four, Congress gente, thank you for joining us today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. As always, please subscribe on your podcasting platform or within the app that you follow us. And if you'd like, please follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're always providing more information and resources there. And if you'd like more information and get in touch with Teresa Gonzalez, the producer and founder of Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, She can be reached at info, that's I-N-F-O, at latinesb2b.com. This podcast was produced and recorded by Teresa E. Gonzalez of Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom and Rob Lopez, audio engineer and co-producer. Gracias.